The Caribbean is often described as the most tourism-dependent region in the world. A Titan is described as one that stands out for greatness of achievement, one who is influential in his field. I'm Marlene Stevenson-Daly. Welcome to our podcast. We call it Jamaica's Tourism Titans. It's about the movers and shakers of the industry, men and women who have contributed to its growth and development in Jamaica, the region, and indeed, the world. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Jamaica's Tourism Titans. Wherever in the world you're joining us from, we appreciate your taking the time and we welcome you wholeheartedly and invite you to stay tuned for this or 22nd podcast. My special guest is Professor Andrew Spencer, President of the Caribbean Maritime University here in Jamaica. He's a former Deputy Executive Director of the Mona School of Business and Management at the University of the West Indies. He's a young man who was the first to be promoted to the rank of full professor in the substantive field of tourism at the University of the West Indies, and one that I had the pleasure of working with at the Tourism Product Development Company Limited, where he also served as executive director for just about four years. In Jamaica, we have a little saying that says, little but talawa. And I believe that this aptly describes him. Welcome, Professor Andrew Spencer. <laughs> Thank you for the welcome, Marlene. <laughs> it's so good to have you. It's, it's good to be here. And I won't take exception to being referred to as little. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I'm looking at Ludlow across the glass, and Ludlow is six feet six, right? <laughs> and I'm not sure how many pounds he weighs, but, yeah. you know. <laughs> Everything is relative, it's right? Relative. So I'm definitely little. <laughs> Let's start right where you are now. You assumed the role of president of the Caribbean Maritime University in September 2022. And I know there were headhunters out to get you. And when you left TPDCO, we were like, oh my God, he's gone. <laughs> but why the Caribbean Maritime University? Yeah, uh, very interesting question. And you, there were some headhunters and there were a number of job offers on the table. But I always wanted my next step to still involve some amount of tourism. Mm -hmm. I live tourism, and tour tourism will always be a part of my DNA. So I thought that the Caribbean Maritime University was, was the perfect confluence of what I had been doing in academia, mm -hmm. uh, looking at some of the cruise issues, but also what we would have been doing at TPDCO, mm -hmm. handling some of those matters. And at the same time, it would have tapped into some of my corporate leadership experience as well. So... So, so having been there for almost a year, I, I think I have proven that it was the right choice. Yes. I'm enjoying every single day of it. That's wonderful. Yes. Really wonderful. You know, if you have a job and you enjoy it, you don't work a day in your life. That's right. That's right. <laughs> How does the strategic vision and mission of the Caribbean Maritime University tie into the tourism value chain? Not everybody understands right. that what is it? Yeah. Synchronicity? Well, yes. Well, in, in a number of ways. I'll start from the least obvious and work my way to the most obvious. Mm -hmm. The least obvious way is that shipping should matter to all of us. And I keep saying that all of the movement of goods and people, well, let's leave the people out of it for a minute. All of the movement of goods and trade, to a large extent, over 80% mm -hmm. of it for the world, happens mm -hmm. by sea. Mm -hmm. We are archipelagic in the region. It's more than 90% for us. 
So everything, all of the supply elements that affect tourism must in some way yes. intersect with shipping. So that's the first and, prob and probably least obvious connection. Right. So all of the things that we don't produce that we have to bring in mm -hmm. must come through our ports. And we take so much for granted. We take know? a lot for granted. I mean, the, the, the fuel that's needed to move so many things along mm -hmm. in, in, in the tourism space has to come through our ports, has to be shipped. To power our manufacturing. Everything. All the other sectors. All of it. Yes. All of it. So, it's so, it, it, so that's at a very fundamental, foundational level. And I keep saying that, that, you know, because of what we offer, we offer the full gamut. So we're talking about, we have the border security programs. We have the programs in international shipping, in port management, mm -hmm. in shipping and logistics, which is a separate discipline. We have cruise tourism, which I'll get back to in a minute. We have marine and cruise tourism. We have programs in uh, engineering, which look at how to ensure that there are solutions for mm -hmm. this movement to take place fluidly. So we, we, we look at movement on the sea, we look at the ports, mm -hmm. and we look at everything that happens end-to-end. -end. We call it end-to-end -end logistics. So you're able to train persons to fill all of the various all of positions? Ev everything in shipping and port management, we have a, a program for, for you. So let me get to the most obvious now, right, which is the, the cruise side of it. And I mm -hmm. often say to people that where I thought I would have had my steepest learning curve would have been the hard side of shipping. Mm -hmm. I've been fully inculcated now. But, but the part of it that's my baby is the softer side of shipping, which had to do with a number of the cruise lines. Right. And, and, and I'm so grateful that we've been able to bring them into the conversation. The CMU largely would have had its, its hands into a number of partnerships with Exmar shipping and, and those mm -hmm. uh, tanker type, harder type shipping vessels. But we have now signed MOUs with Carnival Cruise Lines. We're about to sign one of Disney Cruise Lines. Okay. We get funding from Royal Caribbean. And so that's the kind of pulling the, the tourism side of it mm -hmm. into the mix. Now, what Carnival tells me is that they've divided uh, their, their operations into three. So they have deck. We're providing deck officers for them. Mm -hmm. They have engine. We're providing engineers. And then they have guest relations. That's the hospitality side of it. Yes. And that's my baby. Ah. Um, so so you are able to churn out turn out yes. personnel to fill all aspects of the needs of, say, a carnival cruise line. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and, and it makes me excited because outside of, of, of doing that, we have now begun to get, so students are being placed on their ships, but they are now in a competition. This is the exciting thing for me. I have three cruise lines competing <laughs> to see which of them can have a CMU graduate yes. as, or, or, or the first CMU graduate as a captain on their vessel. That's exciting. <laughs> it so is. Royal tells me they're about to be first because there's there's a guy who is who is pretty he's climbing pretty mm -hmm, fast mm -hmm. and they expect that he will be the first. But Carnival says not if they get there first. <laughs> so the opportunities are endless. Do you have a number of international students uh, at CMU? We do, we do. Mm -hmm. So we we have eleven countries represented at the CMU. And we, that's the area I think that we need to do more. We've been doing a lot of amazing things. Mm -hmm. But I think even with 11 countries represented, the absolute number needs to increase. Yes. My intention is that about 15% of our population ought to be international. And we're a long way from that now. But we do have uh, nine other Caribbean countries represented and two other countries outside of the Caribbean. Now. Wonderful. Yeah. Now, let's back up a bit. I believe it's important to put your current reality in context of where you're coming from. Give us an insight in this village that 
socialize this high achiever called <laughs> Professor Andrew Spencer. Just take me back to your childhood. Oh, Lord. Uh, all right. So let me, let me just say this very quickly. So the village that created, generated, cultivated this high achievement was a village that uh, it was I had a, a mother who was a government secretary for years, then became an administrator. I had a father who was a teacher, principal, and then an education officer, retired as a senior education officer mm -hmm. responsible for an entire region. So, of course, you understand that education was very important to them. <laughs> yes. the, the, the challenge for me, though, since we're making the leap to tourism, um, is they, at, at that point, didn't get why I was so gung-ho about going into tourism. But why were you so gung-ho about going into tourism anyway? It's interesting. So I started my degree at UA in literatures and English. Oh, yes. golly. Yeah, people didn't <laughs> know that, right? So I was, yeah, I was, I, and I was excited about it. I was loving poetry and prose fiction and, yes. you know, literary criticism and all that and good all stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and then I did one tourism class. And it, firstly, I had a, a misconception about it because tourism just sounded like fun. And I said, you know, I've been stuck in books all this time, just reading. No, I wasn't always a high performer, you know, don't get it wrong. No, so, no, no. you know, I, tell, I told the story recently <laughs> on Profile. I was on Profile with Ian Boyd in 2013. And I wasn't comfortable saying it then. But I said it on Profile recently that I actually repeated fourth form. I wasted a little time at Ulmer's because, yes. you know, you get pulled by the influences. Then when I came into my, my, myself, I started, I was really immersed in literature. I, was, I, I went to... UWI and a guy who didn't like math at Olmos ended up teaching people statistics before they went into class. So oh. I, I bloomed in my own time yes, and became, yes. and that's the overachievement started in so what year did you, one what at So what did UA. your mother say to you when you had to repeat for it for? Ah, my mother. So I, she surprised me because she was the tougher of the two. <laughs> and I was actually, I think I was overseas. My aunt had sent for me to come to New York. And she called me and she said, you you're going to have to stay back and forth from the school has mandated. Calm, calm, calm. <laughs> and this is a mother who would normally tear me up for things <laughs> like that. Um, so, but she knew that I had enough beating me over the head. I would have to go and sit in a class yes, with people yes. who I, I was big boy to before, right? So that, that would humble me enough. And I, I really appreciate how, how she handled that. Um, I don't even think that that repeat woke me up immediately. As I said, I coasted through, got what I needed. Mm -hmm. for, C, for Then it was CXC and A-levels. Yes, I'm an older man. <laughs> and I came into my own in first year UA. And But even then, they didn't get the tourism obsession. But for me, it was just, it sounded but like an industry of just play. It sounded like fun. So what did that one class do to you? What did it kick in somewhere in your head? What, what turned on the switch? Right, all right. So, so, so full honesty. I wanted to do it because it was fun. Secondly, I wanted to study outside of Jamaica. And at the time, the tourism degree and the hotel degree were, you had to do your second and third year in the Bahamas. Ah, so you wanted to I travel. To get, yeah, I needed to go, right? Uh, <laughs> and then I went, and your first set of courses are the generic courses. Mm -hmm. Then I did my first tourism class with a man called Mr. O'Reilly. And it became very clear to me in that moment that this was a thing that was much talked about but very little understood. Mm-hmm. It continues to be that way. And I thought that it would, it would need to be my life's mission to firstly understand it. And I think the literature had a role to play because literature is all about reading between the lines, right? And there was so much between the lines that was not being told. Mm -hmm. There was not enough being written about tourism. The publications were, you know, sparse. I felt like I wanted to be in the space first understanding it and then creating knowledge about it. Yeah. So I knew. I knew off the bat that I was going to be involved in tourism, not only from the perspective of, 
you know, leading and implementing, mm -hmm. but from the perspective of the creation of knowledge. Right. Adding to that body yes. of knowledge. And when I finished my first degree, I actually came, I came, I applied to TV Deco. Funny story. I love to tell that story. <laughs> 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 it wasn't the right time for TV Deco then, yes, though. Uh, it turned you down. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. I was shortlisted but, but you came back. Other. But you came back later to be its executive director. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. you know. <laughs> you know, it was, it was, it was a, the timing, timing, yes, timing. Yes. Yes, that's everything. Yes. If I say the word Wilmers, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Excellence. Okay, why? In a word, in a <laughs> word. Because I, my, my, my experience with Wilmers, and I must say that I wasn't only a student there. Went back and taught there for two years, English, as you'd imagine. Okay, yes. And I am also now the president of the Old Boys Association. Wilmers to me is like the, the perfect... It's a microcosm of society. You get everything at Woolmans. You get a little of uptown, downtown, uh, midtown. Midtown. You get, you get it. it Round it, town. <laughs> it, it, it exposes you in a way that then pulls out of you the best. So it, it, it harnesses the best of every individual. Once you are ready to, 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 to be who you should be, mm -hmm. Woolmans facilitates that. And, it's, and, and that's, there's a reason why it has lasted as long as it has. And, and we're committed to continued excellence. Yes. Great. I know a lot of schools, you know, they depend on the uh, their alma mater, their, their their alumni, to have that sense of pride and, yes. and 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 just to focus on the youngsters who are there now, and that makes such a difference. And it, you you look around important. Jamaica and you'll see it. The schools that have alumni associations, they actually stand out. Yeah. Yeah. Indeed. What are some of the challenges that you faced, if any? as a student in the Bahamas? Oh, lots. Um, so we were, first of all, we're in a space that, and I think, I think it has grown, it has evolved. Mm -hmm. But back then when I went to the Bahamas as a student, there was a great deal of xenophobia. Um, so there was a fear of the traveler. Mm -hmm. People didn't know what to make of you if you sounded different, mm -hmm. acted a little differently. And so there was that, and we were a small group. It was about 100 students, melting pot from the Eastern Caribbean, Trinidad, Barbados, mm -hmm. and Jamaica mainly. And we just had to figure it out on our own. And I think that those two years in the Bahamas taught me a lot. I got into student leadership. I became vice president of the guild because we saw so much that needed to be changed. Mm -hmm. And I came out of that experience knowing. I came back to Jamaica, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I came back to Jamaica knowing. I, 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 was, I, I thought to myself, I don't know how much longer I can live in parents' house. I need a car. I need everything. I just came back with a... A very open mind. Mm. I went there a little sheltered and I yes. came back wide open. All right. And now you're going to be a man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to take my share and part. <laughs> All right. If you're listening in and you're enjoying our conversation, we invite you to stick and stay because we're going to take a little break. We'll be right back. It's Jamaica's Tourism Titans and our special guest, Professor Andrew Spencer of the Caribbean Maritime University of Jamaica. Soon come. In tourism, the people are the product. Yes, they are one of our industry's most important assets. They help create memorable lifetime experiences. They, through their service, make the difference. We share the stories of their challenges and triumphs, of what makes them tick, of who they really are just to inspire you to act positively. You too can be an ambassador for tourism and our country and become a Jamaican tourism titan. 
Start Today. Dive into endless opportunities with TPDCO's Team Jamaica training. Master hospitality essentials and customer service excellence, gaining the skills, knowledge, and attitude for top-notch service. Join a team that sparks growth and transforms lives. Become Team Jamaica certified to shape the future of Jamaica's tourism sector. TPDCO's Team Jamaica, shaping ambassadors for life. Visit www.teamjamaicatraining.com to learn more. Welcome back. You're listening to Jamaica's Tourism Titans or podcast that highlights or stalwarts in the tourism industry here in Jamaica. And our special guest is Professor Andrew Spencer, president of the Caribbean Maritime University. And just before we took the break, we were talking about coming back to Jamaica and you turn man. <laughs> Something of the sort. Something of the sort. How, how did that manifest itself? Well, the first thing was I, I needed to be mobile immediately. Mm-hmm. So I, my dad had an old car that he was selling. He was going to put it in the papers. And I said, no, let me buy it. He said, well, you don't have a job. I said, well, I'll get a job eventually. <laughs> and I'll pay you over time. All oh, right. And so I bought his, his little car. And, and I'll tell you, I did get a job uh, teaching at Olmos. Yes. That was when I went back to teach at Olmos. And I, did, and I did pay him over time, and that made me feel like a man. You of paid course. your bills. and <laughs> Yeah, and, and fairly soon thereafter, got married, like three, four years later, mm-hmm. got married. Just d- double man now? Yeah, of course. <laughs> Properly a big man now. <laughs> now, having taught at Woolmers for two years, what was the next Leg of the journey, like. So while teaching at Ulmas, I was doing my master's in tourism. So mm-hmm. by this time, I'm fully sold on tourism. I don't know if you know this, but I'm the only guy who's done all three of his degrees in tourism. In tourism. Yes. Bachelor's, master's, PhD. So I was doing my, my master's in tourism at the time, teaching English at Ulmas over, over those two years. And then after that, a um, number of things happened. But fast forward was I went to do the PhD in England. Um, and at that point... It, it wasn't clear to me what I was coming back to do. I knew I was going back to UWI because mm-hmm. I'd then been employed by UWI once I had the master's as a full-time lecturer. And I went after this doctoral program. Didn't have much money, Marlene. Mm-hmm. And I, 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 got, I got a zero-interest loan from UWI. Went and decided I had to finish in record time. So they had this thing of my face superimposed on Usain Bolt's body when I was finished with a 9.58 because <laughs> I had done their PhD in two years. Wow. I had to. I didn't have the money to go beyond that. So I, I had to keep strategizing around my... But by then you were married. Yes. So my you, wife came wife to England came with along me. Yes. With you? Yes. yes, she traveled with me. She's that, she's that supportive lady. You know, she came with <laughs> me and, and um, came back from, from England. And there was an opportunity. The, the gentleman who was the director of the center in the Bahamas, the UWI center, mm-hmm. had passed. And I went to the funeral. And at that point I was told... There was an opening for director, and I should apply. I just got a PhD at the time. All right, but before you yes. went over to the Bahamas, tell me a little bit about the strategies that you employed at Bournemouth. Ah, uh, okay. In order to finish in record time, because right. now we're talking about a PhD in two years. Yes. So here's what I had to do. I, in fact, the, the, the thesis was finished before the two years, but I knew it wouldn't have got through before then. So part of what I did, my wife was going to work, 
every day. Mm-hmm. She worked because we're, we're seventh day, so she negotiated with her employers. And they said, all right, don't come to work on Friday at all. Work 10 hours Monday to Thursday. So okay. she'll work her 40-hour week in four days. Mm-hmm. And Monday to Thursday, when she's doing her 40-hour week, I'm doing a 40-hour week working on my thesis. I treated it as a full-time job. Okay. So you so I got, got up, up and I w- yes. And went to work? Yeah, I went to work. Every day, and I took I took 30 minutes lunchtime, and I was working on the thesis again. <laughs> How disciplined can t- you no, be? No, listen, and then I knew that by, the, by Friday, when she's not working, she'd need some of my time. Yes. So I had to make sure I put it in Monday to Thursday. The other bit of the strategy, though, was I realized that I submitted something a little too early once. There was something called an initial review, which happens at three months, and I sent it in at two months. Mm. My supervisors went ballistic. There must be something wrong with this, because why are we getting it so soon? <laughs> so I realized, okay, people question quality when you wow them a little bit too much. So I would finish my targets, mm-hmm. put them down, and go and tour London, come back and submit it two <laughs> weeks later. And I realized that, yeah, okay, so work a little bit closer to their time, mm-hmm. but never fall behind it, and you'll be good. So the university had a rule that you had to do a minimum of two years, and I was sure I wasn't going beyond that. So I actually submitted the thesis at one year and ten months because I knew it would take them time to read it. Yes. And by the two-year mark, we had gone through. The UK doesn't take long to, to establish your viva, your defense. Mm-hmm. And I had it by the time I was done. They didn't even notice that I got viva in the two years and not outside of the two years. And so you're on your way. We were on our way back to Jamaica. Back to Jamaica. With and a heavily then... pregnant wife. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can imagine the yeah. celebration. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, you know. Well. <laughs> but then you headed to the Bahamas shortly after coming back to Jamaica. Yes. Went to Mona as a lecturer and, as I said, applied for the job. Mm-hmm. There were about 11 shortlisted candidates because it was a big deal. They, 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 it was the only tourism school that you had. It was... Mm-hmm. At the time, they had not got to the place where tourism was thriving on the Mona campuses yet. And and I remember being told, uh, long after the fact, that by the time they'd got to Candidate 4, they were sure they had their man. Yeah? I was the last. I was the 11th <laughs> interviewee. 11 El- interviewees? Yes. Okay. And they were, they were done. They were just going through the formalities. Yes, yes, yes. And listen, I think it must have been the best interview I've done to date. <laughs> the people said, listen, we felt like you turned this table on its head. I went in with a whole strat plan. Okay. I had had the, the insight of being a student. I mm-hmm. knew what the students right, wanted. And- I'd gone ahead and learned a little bit more about what tourism wanted, what yes. the industry wanted. Yes. And I just brought that in and we had a fabulous discussion. We talked for almost two hours. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, left, I left knowing it was my job. Uh, and it was very nostalgic to return to the Bahamas mm-hmm. as director 10 years later, having been a student and a student leader. And what was even more refreshing was that a lady named Miss Kelly, who registered me as a student, was my personal assistant when I got there. Oh. What a great relationship. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you, you know, sometimes there's a divine plan for your life that you just have to listen. Indeed. And you sort of fall into place and, and, it, and it works. And yes. it works well. Yes. Now, I've heard the term pracademic used to describe you. What exactly does that mean? (laughs) (laughs) Well, first of all, the word doesn't sound good. I've been told by all of my friends that, you know, I know you think this word sounds great. It does not. But what it really means is that I, um, let's start with, I'm first an academic. I'm a creator of knowledge. So I have Mm -hmm. almost 60 publications, including four books and one more to come out next year. I have a a book on um, 
tourism and human trafficking coming out next year. All right. So we're generating, we're creating knowledge. So that's the academic part of it. But I'm also the guy who implements and manages and mm -hmm. executes and yes. proud of the time we, we shared at TPD because doing really amazing things and seeing that some of those things are now yes. institutionalized and mm -hmm. concretized and never going away it makes yes. you feel good. Yes. Um, so that's, that's really what it is. It's a practical... Um, implementer who is also an academic. All right, I hear you. Yes. And it makes sense because that's pretty much what you are. <laughs> you know, you're working on both fronts. Yes. And congratulations on, I remember the book launch for the book number. That was that was three? actually book number three, yes. Right. Yes. You. And since then, you've put book number four on the yes. shelves and yes. now you're working on book number five. Yes. Fabulous. Congratulations. We look forward to that. What's it what's it gonna be called? Tourism and human trafficking. And human trafficking. And just it was just born out of the idea that we know that tourism destinations are soft targets. Mm -hmm. And tourism means more liberal borders. And it means that other things pass through those yes, borders too. Yes. Yeah. And and sometimes they are under the radar. Correct. Yes. Is there a particular philosophy that drives you? And if yes, what? What's yeah, that? there. Okay, there is, and you know what it is. It's it doesn't sound fancy. It doesn't sound sexy, but I'm not afraid of hearing no. And I mentor twelve young men now, and I tell them it does nothing to you. It's the worst it can do to you. It make you feel a little deflated for a few moments. But had you asked, and heard yes, can you imagine the door that would have been opened? So I knock on doors fearlessly. I don't care who you are. I don't care where you've been. I don't care the age difference. Mm -hmm. If I need to ask a question or if, I need, or if I need to pursue an opportunity, I'm going to do it regardless. Not shy about doing that. You know, it's so interesting what you just said. You're not afraid of hearing no. Because it was just last week that I had a conversation with some young men. And they had been turned down for some opportunities that they thought, mm -hmm. you know, they had a shoe in or they were, they were ready. Yes. And they were told no. And I said, this is an opportunity for you to grow. Absolutely. It's Absolutely. an opportunity for you to change maybe your strategy, go back to the drawing board, mm -hmm. do something more, and come again. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. You have to be able to bounce back. No, you, you made a point earlier. You know. So when I, when I finished my earlier studies and came to TPD, cause I, wanted, I, was, I wanted to be a product quality officer. Officer, yes. And I was told it came down to two of us, and I asked for too much money. And they took the other person. Ah. That's fine. It wasn't my time. Yes. A few years later, I then applied for executive director. And interesting story about that, because I, I know you plan to probably get there. But it, Minister Edmund Bartlett and Chair, Chairman Ian Deere, having interviewed me, basically came for me bodily to come back to work at the place mm -hmm. that had told me no yes. previously. Yes. Um, for another post, and I had the opportunity of working very closely with many product quality officers thereafter, right? But but if we're biblical and we look at so many examples in the Bible, I think of Joseph as you speak. Mm -hmm. He was discarded by his brothers, yeah. and yeah. then when he ended up in Potiphar's yeah. palace, and, and, and he rose yeah. to the top and, and took, was and able to help. While, you know, took him a while. Oh, but of course. But between the time when Joseph got the dream about his greatness and when it came to fruition, that was 13 years. So patience. Yes. Yes. And being in the right place at the right time. You, you know, I always say, you know, there's no point in being up in the hills if you say, one day my ship is going to come in. Mm -hmm. But when the ship comes in, you're up in the bush. Correct. You need Correct. to be at the seashore. Preparation must be Preparing yourself and being ready for that yeah. opportunity. Indeed. Yes. Indeed. Greatest challenge to date. Wow. Greatest challenge to date. 
it's it's not one thing I'd say. It's probably a combination of things. And I feel it is my calling. Mm-hmm. I tend to enter spaces. All of my leadership roles have been under adversity. Mm-hmm. I tend to, so when I entered the Bahamas, they were thinking of closing down the program because of the challenges of the Bahamian government. We went and we fixed that and we it, yes. it, it, and it you thrived. had an impact. Yeah, man, we felt and, and then we moved on. Came into TPDCO. There was a little bit of polarization when I came. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, you can't blame anybody for that. There have been people who'd been there, built it, who felt like they weren't being validated for what they'd mm-hmm. built. Mm-hmm. Then there was new blood who thought, yes. we're done with that now, let's move on. My job was to come in and to create some harmony between factions. So again, came in on the adversity. We also wanted to change the TPDCO's profile from just enforcers mm-hmm. to being facilitators. Facilitators. And yes. we managed to do some of that in the public space. And again, coming to CMU, post some challenges yes, that the CMU had. Challenges that it had. So yeah, all of my leadership postings have been under adversity. Yes. <laughs> um, but we've managed to, to, with the help of God, do some, some great things. Yes. What excites you? What keeps you focused? And, you know, what, what, if I say mm-hmm. X... And, and it just it just gets you thinking and ticking. I'm, I'm excited by problems. Sounds weird, eh? <laughs> I think I should have been an engineer. I, I love, I'm the solution guy. Yes. And so, if you put something complex before me, and this is why I don't probably don't sleep while I'm an insomniac. Put something in front of me, and I'm going to obsessively think about it until we get someplace. Yes. And I tend to sometimes get to the solution a little too quickly skipping a number of steps and not bringing people along with me. So that's something I've had to learn to right, do. Right, to back up. Correct, to back up and to pull the people with you because, you know, I'm, I'm six steps down the road and people are looking at me like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and I am looking at them like, why are you not getting this? Yes. And then I realized the fault is mine. I needed to have explained steps two to four. Um, but what, yeah, challenges excite me. And, and so maybe, maybe that's why I end up in spaces that have a little adversity. <laughs> that's um, all right. I also know you're a man of many parts and uh, you're big on family. You're quite talented. Maybe a lot of people don't know that you're a musician of sorts. Tell us about the exploits in that arena. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, no, we do. So I've always played. My father plays the piano and I've always played. I play multiple instruments, but I've landed back at my first love, which is the piano, the keyboard. And so I do quite a bit of music. In fact, two days ago, we were the backing band for a wedding at the turnover. Oh, excuse yeah, so me. We're doing things, we're doing <laughs> What's things. your band called? The A-List Band. Has nothing to do with my name being the Andrew. A-list. The A-List Band. Okay, the yeah. others in the band, their names begin with A as Not well? at all. It's just, it's, just, it's just from the concept of A-List, top notch. <laughs> okay, I hear you. <laughs> yes, yes. Top class, top A. Yes, yes. All right. And yes, I'm big on family. I have a beautiful wife of 16 years this month. And... Yeah, 16 years. And two beautiful children, 11 and 4. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Time Time. flies. What lessons have you learned from fatherhood? Oh, wow. I've learned that the most important thing is fatherhood. That is the the lesson. My children remind me all the time, (laughs) every time, that they come first. Um, I have a daughter now who... So I, you would imagine that from the tourism days, Marlene, a lot yes, of my days yes. are evening meetings, dinner meetings, and you're coming in at odd hours. My daughter now waits upon me. That's already fresh. I've seen you leave Montego Bay. Yeah, you saw me. I'm, Late I'm like, I'm at not, night. Yes, I'm not sleeping I'm over not tonight. They're waiting over. on me. Yeah. I have to go home when because if Kingston. I don't get home, they're not going to bed. Correct. Wow. Correct. And my son, too, is, is very demanding, but... They understand, but they also make me know 
that yes. they are the center of my life. Yes. Yeah. You know, you've researched extensively, and we mentioned the scholarly publications, the books. Number five is in the making, looking at tourism and human trafficking. And you've also done quite a bit of consultation with several Caribbean uh, nations that, and we are so heavily dependent on tourism that, you know, you just fit right into that niche. If you were to distill, perhaps distill it down to three lessons that Caribbean states can take away from what you have learned in your research, what would those lessons be? Interesting. I'm sure there are many, no, there but, are many, but you if know, you were to distill it down. I'm happy, I'm happy you asked that because one of my most recent publications is a journal article that looked at development challenges in mm -hmm. the Caribbean. Mm -hmm. It went as far back as the, the retentions of the plantation society and we worked our way up. And I think what exists to a large extent now is still way too much insularity. I think we're too small mm -hmm. to attempt to, to do it in such an individualistic way. Right. And the, the, everything is pointing to regions of the world who have done well, understanding where their strengths lie and understanding where they rely on someone else's strengths. Mm -hmm. And that's an old theory though, you know, that goes way back to, it's an economic theory, the theory of comparative advantage. Yes. Um, so that's one. The, the second thing is we are getting there, but we're not there yet. We need to pedestalize our people some more. We haven't yet begun to understand that while the systems work, while the financing is important, while the modeling that we do is important, at the heart of that, our people have to recognize real value of tourism in their own lives. Uh, we are we're small island developing states. And if you're a small island developing state, the first thing that must occur to you is that individuals will feel about tourism the way they feel about the tourist and vice versa. They will feel about the tourist the way they feel about tourism. Yes. And if, if, you, if you get that uh, correct and take, look here, it's time for tourism to, to be the best paying profession, career yes. in Jamaica and the Caribbean. I'm not, we're talking about STEM, great. I run a university that's big on STEM. We have mm -hmm. some of the best engineering programs and so on. But the point I'm making is there's no way you can say that there's an industry that does that that was for a long time your second highest foreign exchange earner earner being beat, beaten by remittances. Then it took over as number one. Yes. Then the Caribbean became the most tourism dependent region. In the world. Then in the world. Then you're talking about an industry that recovered m most quickly from from COVID faster every than everybody else. We, we didn't think it would, eh? We didn't. So, and it, it happens every time. You know, well, I, I was one of those who actually thought it would re recover faster than other industries. I just didn't think it would have recovered as fast as it as did. It did. But we have the examples of 9 11 and everything else, and it's very resilient. But how do you have something that continues to do what it does and you don't fix the more fundamental challenges surrounding yes. the people that drive it? Yes. The minute we get that right is the day that the Caribbean will tap properly into its real value. Yes. And you did say three things, and I went on and on about number two. And the third... <laughs> the pedestalization <laughs> yes. and of the, our people. And mm -hmm. the, third, the third one is that, that I have to fix the model of tourism. Me and my broken record self, I say this every chance I get. I know many people listen to your podcast. I'll say it again. Attractions, attractions, attractions must be the driver of your tourism product. It cannot be accommodations. 
only only in Jamaica and the Caribbean do we see a model mm -hmm. that says accommodations first, attractions secondary. Yes. Or peripheral. Because people come to come on. see I the attractions. I come to a particular hotel brand. Yes. And I love the hotel brands, all right? Full disclosure, I sit on the board mm -hmm. of a very popular hotel. I'm big on, on, on that. Yes. But, but it only works if you get the pull factor right. And the pull factor is that, I, I keep using the example, I go to Paris for the Eiffel Tower, go to Arizona for the Grand Canyon, yes. I go to, to Rome for the Colosseum, I go everywhere for the attraction, and then I find and you a find place somewhere to lay to my stay. head. Yes, yes. We have it completely the reversed. The other way around. And if we're doing so well while having it completely reversed, can you imagine? if we were to properly unearth our attractions and showcase them. Ah. This is for another conversation. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you, comparative advantage in the region and just being able, you know, we talk about multi-destination tourism mm -hmm. and it's, it's oftentimes in my mind so piecemeal. We could get on for another long discussion about know, all of I these know, lessons know, that you mentioned, the business of pedestalizing our people and recognizing the value of tourism in these persons yes. and they recognizing it in the way yeah. they live, their livelihoods and, and how they live and breathe and send their children to school and all of that. And then, of course, fixing the model where attractions become the centerpiece and accommodations and other things will revolve around it. Professor Andrew Spencer, it has been a pleasure having you as part of our podcast today. We call it Jamaica Tourism Titans because... It highlights our men and women who have been making yeoman contribution to this industry, which is so dear to us and which means so much to our economies, not just here in Jamaica, but in the Caribbean, the most dependent, tourism-dependent region of the world. It has been a pleasure. Thank you so much and it, God bless. It's been my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Join us next time when we'll have another interesting guest for you. What good. Thank you so much for listening to Jamaica's Tourism Titans. We welcome your feedback at letusknow at tpdco.org. Leave us a comment, share, like, and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at tpdcoja. I'm Marlene Stevenson-Daly. See you soon. Ooh.